Kevin Richard. Well, this week on the podcast, we're going to talk about budgeting, uh, legislative budgeting, state budgeting. And I know that probably sounds like it's going to make for a really boring podcast, but I guarantee you this is going to be a five-star podcast because we have a five-star guest back on the podcast to talk about budgeting. The Joint Finance Appropriations Committee has really gotten to work this week on education budgets. It's Education Week at the State House. But this has been a committee that's been interesting to watch even before Education Week. Clark Corbin, formerly of the Extra Credit Podcast, formerly of Idaho Ed News, but now of Idaho Capital Sun, has been following JFAC closely, and he is here to, to talk about JFAC and to, to rescue the uh, my five-star rating status. All right, and Kevin, I just want to start off by assuring the listeners today, we are coming from you from a secure location in Boise, Idaho. I can promise you we are not broadcasting from a farm in Spokane County, Washington. We're here in the great state of Idaho, and I'm excited to talk about it. But it's, it's Idaho ed- born and bred and all that good stuff. <laughs> um, but it's, it's education week, as you alluded to. Uh, the budget hearings in JFAC are, are really picking back up. And you've had your eye on on higher ed and K-12 public schools this week, and uh, uh, it's really picking up, right? Right. And and just even to backtrack even further than that, I mean, this has been, we've been watching to see what JFAC is going to look like and how it's going to carry itself really ever since that primary, ever since we had all of that turnover in the May primary. We're starting to see that come to pass. Now we've got these you know, brand new members, including some folks who are brand new to the legislature. You know, just a lot of new faces on JFAC that uh, we're all trying to get a feel for. Yeah, that's that 20-member uh, joint budget committee, 10 from the House, 10 from the Senate. Uh, new chairs. Uh, mm-hmm. Representative Wendy Horman, Republican from Idaho Falls, is the House chair. Senator Scott Grow, uh, Republican from, I always get Eagle. this wrong, Eagle or Meridian. There we go. Eagle uh, is the new Senate chair. Depending on how you look at it overall and, and how you count substitutes, I think there's like 11 or 12 of the committee members who weren't on JFAC last year. So that's really the theme uh, for this young legislative session is turnover, leadership changes new faces, new people in new roles, and sort of the uncertainty and unpredictability that that brings, right? Right. And, you know, some of these folks are not new to the process. They're not new to the legislature, even JFAC. I mean, Steve Miller, uh, representative from Fairfield, is the vice chair. He'd been on JFAC before. He'd been voted out of office, came back into office. Same thing with Britt Roybold uh, from Rexburg. She's back on JFAC after winning her, her primary election against Ron Nate. So there are some folks we do know about. But I'm thinking about some of these brand new freshman legislators who aren't asking many questions. They're they're doing what I would probably do if I was a first year member of JFAC and just sitting trying to absorb a lot of information that's uh, coming at you. Still kind of interesting to see how it all plays out and what what happens when these folks actually have to start voting on budgets in a few weeks? Yeah, I think that's the unknown with, with a lot of these people, especially the folks that didn't ask a lot of, of, of questions. We don't know where they stand, what they're about, uh, what they're going to be interested in. And so it's it, we're going to have to kind of wait and see. Uh, and then that will translate over to the floors of the House and Senate uh, for the next uh, layer after that. But yeah, the first six weeks or so of the legislative session are always budget hearings. That's where we're at right now. Uh, after after that, the next six weeks move into budget setting, and that's where you really uh, start to look out. But JFAC really hasn't uh, taken any votes this year, and there's a lot of debate on whether 
JFAC will change uh, it, its voting procedures. Covered a little bit of that at the Idaho Capital Sun. New Speaker of the House Mike Moyle said he favors changing JFAC's long-established voting procedures uh, to split the committee so House members and Senate members vote separately, and then each budget would have to clear a simple majority two separate times, uh, once in the House members, once in the Senate, in order to advance. That would be a big change so far. I don't think that's ironed out or decided yet. Yeah, and you know, at first when, when you wrote about this, when I, when I heard about this, at first I looked at it as a, an observer and I thought, is this really gonna change much of anything? Because I go back to JFAC last year and we had a lot of 18 to two votes, even on some of the really big budgets. You, know, you had all 10 senators voting in favor. You had eight of the House, uh, the 10 House members voting in favor. You had Ron Nate and Priscilla Giddings voting against a lot of these budgets kind of representing the hard line. So I kind of looked at it and said, well, what difference does it make? But it might, as we talked about uh, offline before, that this really gives each member maybe some outsized uh, importance. I mean, every, every vote's going to count if only yeah. five members from the House or the Senate could kill a budget and committee. That's the thing. It used to take 10 members last year, uh, or always, in, in, in JFAC, 10 members uh, to guarantee killing a budget at the committee level. Therefore, it would fail on a 10 to 10 vote. Uh, now five uh, House members or five senators can get together and block a budget on on uh, a committee vote in, in JFAC. It also means that it takes 12 votes overall, at least six and six, yeah. uh, to pass. So the math gets a little bit more interesting. Um, we haven't, we don't know for sure 100% if they will make that change this year or in a subsequent legislative session, or, or maybe not at all. Uh, the new speaker does seem to be making a big push for it. Uh, we haven't seen it in action, and so it's a little difficult to say what it would mean. But yeah, uh, if one senator is unhappy, and if he can find four friends, uh, that's enough to block a budget at the committee level, and that would be new, and that would be different. Yeah, and yeah, it, I, I, and it's already, it, it, it's already having some impact in the sense of, you know, this could come into play on supplemental budget appropriations which could happen fairly quickly if they figure out how they're going to do the voting process. Yeah, I think you need two-thirds to even reopen the, su the budget for a supplemental process. Um, but yeah, we haven't uh, gotten into the supplementals yet. There's a, there's a letter from uh, uh, an organization called Idaho Children Are Primary. Uh, a couple of former legislators, the mayor of Caldwell, First Lady Patricia Kempthorne, signed a letter earlier this week to JFAC saying they're concerned that uh, they have a $15 million supplemental request for emergency rental assistance that needs to be acted on by the end of January, which is next week, uh, and they're concerned that the uh, back and forth over whether JFAC should change its voting procedures has perhaps held up uh, those supplementals and might be threatening their timeline. So that's one that I'll continue uh, to keep an eye on. There's also additional supplemental funding. There's dozens of supplemental requests out there, including uh, $1 million uh, authorization from Governor Brad Little to provide enhanced security at University of Idaho following the uh, quadruple homicides right. from November. Uh, things like safe shuttles, additional security, uh, additional uh, law enforcement personnel. Not the investigation into the homicide itself, but more uh, like some extra uh, law enforcement and some extra resources and security around the campus and the community and its students. So let's talk about some of the budget presentations that we've seen so far. I mean, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, so we're still in the middle of education week. So we'll have the community colleges on Thursday, and I'm going to be looking forward to hearing that because the interim president of North Idaho College is going to be there. 
Uh, we'll have the University of Idaho on Friday. So that's a huge budget uh, hearing coming up. But we've already had a couple of really big budget hearings uh, that I've been covering. And one that we were both at uh, Wednesday morning was uh, Debbie Critchfield's first, uh, first time around before JFAC. Yeah, 23rd day on the job is what yeah. Superintendent Critchfield said. And, and here she is walking uh, the new JFAC committee through a nearly $2.5 billion state general fund uh, request for 2024 budget year. And um, we were just talking offline, but Superintendent Critchfield brings a lot of experience to the job. She's a former president of the State Board of Education. Uh, she held a couple of different positions with her local Cajun County <laughs> school district, as uh, Idaho Education News readers and Kevin Richard Show listeners know. Uh, so she brought some experience, but I think just like my, my, my high-level view uh, was that for a first First time budget presentation for a new superintendent who's been on the job 23 days. I, I think it showed that there was a lot of preparation uh, involved. Uh, she spent more than, there was a break in there, but she easily spent more than an hour and a half yeah. walking through not only the supplemental request for the current 2023 budget year, uh, but also each of the, well, six of the seven public school budgets uh, that are going to be up for JFAC to consider for the 2024 budget year. She had some specific examples. She talked about uh, her goals and philosophies around student achievement, uh, student-centered learning outcomes, supporting teachers, supporting, supporting communities, and then having a return on investment. She had specific examples. Uh, she faced some several questions, more than a dozen questions from legislators. And, um, and when she wasn't able to provide a specific example, uh, she said, here's the, the person in our department who's involved with that, and, and we'll get you a follow-up report. So I think there was a level of, of preparation and detail included in this budget presentation uh, that just was kind of one of my initial presentations and, or impressions. And that's not surprising, given, given the experience, particularly the high-level state experience that Superintendent Critchfield brings to the job. Yeah, and you know, the obvious comparison to make here, and I think it's a fair comparison to make here, is Critchfield on Wednesday before JFAC compared to Sherry Ibarra before JFAC in 2015, about three weeks into her job as a newly elected state superintendent. That presentation of Ibarra's was 17 minutes. Yeah. And we were reminiscing a little bit about this offline um, an editorial writer from the, the Twin Falls Times News wrote, uh, you need 17 minutes to make a decent hamburger. And, and here is Sherry Ibarra uh, presenting about uh, half of the state budget, making a presentation about a budget that takes up about half of the state's general fund. And I think that to a large degree, that was uh, a presentation that Ibarra really never quite got over with some legislators. I mean, we were in that room, and legislators just looked, <laughs> they were taken aback. They were aghast that they had this hour and a half of unexpected free time because uh, Sherry Barr had nothing to say about the budget. And, and I think that, that that certainly did not get her off on a good tone with members of JFAC or, or legislators in general. Uh, Critchfield obviously uh, did her homework going into this hearing. Yeah, I, th I think you're exactly right. I think that is a fair comparison because we're talking about the f you know the first major budget presentation for each of the past two 
superintendents. I, I, the 17 minutes, yeah, that was something that I had timed at the time. And in 2015, there was a definite sense uh, that JFAC members expected more. Uh, we know now, uh, and we actually knew before, that the public school budget hearing is one of the closest watched, most heavily scrutinized budget hearings of the year, along with health and welfare, Medicaid, and corrections. Uh, but it is certainly one of the most scrutinized because of the amount of money involved, like you said, nearly half of the budget, uh, $2.5 billion general fund money this year, give or take, uh, 319,000 students in our public school system. They talked about, Superintendent Critchfield talked about 115 school districts uh, and 70 charter schools. So the number of people involved uh, and the amount of money involved, I, I think, are why this is so closely watched. And today we saw Superintendent Critchfield tell members of JFAC not to think of the public school system in terms of a giant system and a bottom line, but to keep in mind the individual students and teachers and families that are a part of that system. So don't lose the impact to the individual student for uh, the giant system itself was a little bit of the message today that I thought I heard. And I thought the, the budget hearing uh, on Wednesday went beyond just the optics, just the, you know, the, the presentation itself. There were actually some, some substantive differences between what Critchfield is looking for and what Governor Brad Little has laid out in his budget recommendation. Not, not on the broad strokes. I mean, these two are in basic agreement about increasing teacher pay, doing something about classified employees, doing something about helping, uh, helping schools uh, fund you know, employee benefits, not just for teachers, but for all employees. Now, all of those kind of basic, you know, you know, big picture, high profile proposals, they're on the same page. But we saw some little differences and distinctions. Uh, Critchfield would like to see more money going into career technical education. Yeah. She would like to see something done to offset the inflationary costs that schools, school districts are dealing with in busing. Uh, she wants to restore some money for, for teacher professional development. She wants to establish statewide and, and mandatory training for school trustees. Little things in the context of a $2.5 billion budget, but also a sense of some of the things that Critchfield is, is trying to emphasize and trying to fix in a budget that, that she inherits just a couple of weeks before the presentation. Yeah, she, I, I think you're exactly right. She talked about how her priorities are informed. She talked about the year and a half she spent campaigning, uh, crisscrossing the state of Idaho, uh, putting 55,000 miles on her vehicle, uh, visiting either every legis or every county or every county but one. I can't remember, but I think every legislative district and maybe every county uh, but one. And she talked about how her interactions with Idahoans and their priorities fuel her own perspective and priorities. And so, yeah, you saw Superintendent Critchfield at the very end uh, take a couple of minutes aside and, and tell JFAC, you know, I think that career technical education, particularly for programming, particularly, well, I think she said grades 7 to 12, is something that's been important to her, that has been important to her throughout her tenure. You were also right to mention the, uh, uh, the training for school boards and the professional development training um, for educators and, and, and pupil staff members uh, in, in regards to mentorship and collaboration, student achievement and things, of, the, things of, uh, of that nature. She also, even though this is in both her budget and the governor's budget, 
seem to take a particular uh, interest in highlighting uh, some programming and some funding requests uh, to help students dealing with dyslexia. Mm -hmm. She called that out a couple of times and really drilled down into why that was important and why that was a priority and maybe why that hadn't received uh, the attention that she thought maybe it should in the past. So I think you're right in terms of broad strokes, uh, support for teacher pay, um, they're on the same page. But some of these, when you drill down a little bit closer, uh, they each have their own little way of doing things uh, or asking for things and their own priorities. And, and I think you did a good job uh, in your story at Idaho Ed News kind of uh, highlighting some of that. You know, talking about that they are on the same page, but here's a couple of priorities uh, for each. Right. And I think the, dys- the uh, dyslexia, the, the focus on dyslexia that, that you mentioned, that uh, Critchfield mentioned a couple of times, I think that, you know, I think that she probably sees this as a program that uh, the state, you know, she called it unfinished business uh, on Wednesday. It's really business is just starting. I mean, the, the state just updated its uh, dyslexia handbook uh, a year ago. Now you're getting into the actual training uh, for teachers. And, and this is a, a reading disorder that affects a lot of kids. About a fifth of, of Idaho children have, uh, have dyslexia. So it's a big deal and, and obviously something that, uh, you know, the state is just trying to get, uh, you know, take a new approach to Yeah, we, we pointed out how the budget, you know, uh, we're in the middle of the budget year right now. And, and so these supplemental requests are for the 2023 budget. And I detected a little skeptic- skepticism from a couple of members of JFAC who said, million for dyslexia. We're already halfway, more than halfway through the school year. Can you spend $1.5 million by the end of the year? Superintendent Critchfield said, yeah. If you think about it, we've got, it's being spent. We have 115 school districts, 70 charter schools. If you spread that money out, $1.5 million statewide, I can't remember the dollar amount uh, that she mentioned, but it was like 100 some bucks per classroom, 175 bucks a classroom or, or something of that order, a couple hundred bucks. Uh, so she said, yeah, um, uh, it, it's already being spent and, and the need is, is there. Reading the Room Wednesday was a marked mark contrast to me uh, compared to what I saw as I was reading the Room on Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday we had three of the four uh, college and university presidents before JFAC. We had Cynthia Pemberton from Lewis Clark State College, Kevin Satterley from Idaho State University. They got off easy. <laughs> fairly, uh, fairly low-key presentations, not a lot of questions, pretty smooth sailing. Boise State President Marlene Trump was on for the better part of an hour, and it was it was a rough presentation. It, it, a lot of questions from the, the committee, uh, some focused on social justice issues. Uh, ben Adams, Senator from Nampa, was trying to drill down on salaries and positions, including a specific salary for a specific position that Boise State is advertising right now. Couldn't even get a salary figure for that, a salary range for that position. He made the claim that you know he's sticking with, at least for the time being, that there are 28 Boise State University positions tied into diversity, equity, and inclusion. That question came up. But questions that also I think Trump probably should have seen coming, questions about how did you spend the $4.9 million in new student fees? How did you spend the $4 million line item that the legislature provided uh, to Boise State last year? Really not a lot of specifics. A, a pledge to email specifics back to the committee in the near future. You know, We've asked for these uh, emails from Boise State as they come in. We've also asked uh, JFAC uh, co-chair Wendy Corman for this. 
just to try to close the loop here, but a really rough presentation, in some ways almost as rough a presentation for, for Trump on Tuesdays at Barra eight years ago. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, uh, President Trump has been facing heavy scrutiny from the Idaho legislature really since before she walked onto the job, uh, after she was announced as president, but right when she when she got the job, she got that letter from, what, 20 House Republicans? Yeah, 28, yeah. 20-some um, House, 28 House Republicans. Um, Boise State has been singled out uh, in floor debates over uh, public school, over, over higher ed funding uh, in the past. And so I think you're right that um, um, they faced this kind of scrutiny before, and, and I think there should have been an expectation that some of these questions uh, would come up uh, from JFAC, who, you know, is faced with setting a higher education budget that has been met with a lot of skepticism on the floor, has been killed on the mm-hmm. House floor uh, in the past c- couple of years. And so we talk about these are heavily scrutinized, closely watched budget hearings. Uh, there's a lot of eyes on these budget hearings on JFAC every morning, and the legislators had a lot of questions. Can you say that Boise State is being singled out to a degree that the other uh, colleges and universities are not? Y- yes, absolutely. Um, but um, yeah, you're in the hot seat when you come before JFAC. And, and I think that's part of why I found Trump's presentation on Tuesday to be so surprising and, and such a clunker, because unlike Sherry Abar 2015, Marlene Trump 2023. She's been before yeah. that committee before. She's been president now for, for several years. She knows the politics of the position and the politics of that committee. So it wasn't even just so much not having all of the numbers off the top of her head. I don't think it's fair to expect anybody to know the complexities of a budget off the top of their head. And I'd be suspicious, frankly, if somebody was just rattling off numbers, uh, you know, but to not have any numbers, not have any kind of details, not have any kind of general uh, general breakdown of how you spent the new money for student, from student fees, how you spent the money that was earmarked, I, I found that to be a really surprising, uh, surprising budget presentation. And going back to what you were talking about before, when it gets down to voting, and if you do this the Mike Moyle way, and it only takes five House members or House or five Senate members to kill a higher ed budget in committee, you can have trouble getting a higher ed budget out of JFAC, let alone getting a higher ed budget off the House floor or the Senate floor down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you I know you mentioned that uh, new Senator Ben Adams, former House member Ben Adams, had several questions uh, for President Trump. I think you caught up with him after the hearing, though, and asked him about his impression of, of the budget hearing and, and kind of what did he thought? What did he have to say? Well, and, and it's interesting because, you know, Adams is a Boise State. Uh, he identifies himself on the uh, the Senate uh, homepage of the bio as a Boise State student. He was wearing a Boise State lapel pin uh, on Tuesday afternoon, uh, Tuesday morning. Yeah. And as I talked to him about it, he said, you know, I'm not anti-education. I'm not anti-higher ed. And when Boise State talks about trying to create an inclusion program to welcome students, to help students make the transition to college, he says, look, I don't have a problem with that. My problem is, my concern is, is this all being done through a lens of DEI? And if so, then is it even being effective? Is it even working for students? So, yeah. And I think, yeah, as I asked him about it, he said, you know, there were a lot of things they just didn't seem to be able to answer. So I, I think, you know, you know, he comes away disappointed, and in a 
in a JFAC where, you know, again, five senators might be able to make or break a budget, you know, his vote may take on, you know, outsized importance. Any member of JFAC, uh, their vote takes on even more importance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but a big week uh, for big hearings. Yeah, a very different, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, did you, real quick, did you want to talk about your outlook for the rest of the week, or did you want to clean up well, anything I mean, from uh, either of these first two days of, of hearings? It, again, I, I think, you know, doing this as kind of a snapshot podcast, we don't know what to expect on Thursday. Um, by the time you're listening to this, the, the, college, uh, the community colleges will be before JFAC. That is usually not a huge budget hearing because it's not a huge amount of money, but it is state funding. You know, community colleges do get a share of their money from the state, and that includes NIC, which has been under so much scrutiny, it's going to be a chance for us to hear from, from Greg South, the interim president up there, as well as the other community college presidents, and then you've got U of I. Um, you've got Scott Green, who, you know, like well, Marlene Trump, has faced questions about social justice and DEI, faced questions about that in Senate Education Committee earlier this week. You know, it, that will that will be a very interesting budget hearing to to watch as well. And then, you know, a few weeks down the road, we're going to see some votes, and and these are the votes to to watch because you know this is really the one job the legislature has, setting a budget, which you know can be more difficult when you've got a lot of money to spend and a lot of ideas about where to spend it. Yeah, we've talked all the time about how the budget setting process really drives the length uh, of the session. Uh, I was in JFAC one of the first days of the year. I, I think JFAC members are preparing to write 108 different agency budgets overall this year for the state of Idaho, uh, plus whatever supplementals they take up. So it, it's a big lift ahead of them, just as it is every year. A lot of changes changes on JFAC. And then uh, along with that, we think the Senate is, is becoming more conservative. Uh, some of the most conservative members of the Idaho House have moved over to the Idaho Senate. There's also some brand new uh, first-time legislators who have joined the Senate who are very conservative and very outspoken, uh, very involved in, uh, in, in budget and in policy matters. And so whereas the Senate had been this moderating force, particularly contrasted with the Idaho House over the last, say, 12 years that I've been watching the Idaho legislature, I think that's changing. And the Senate uh, may even be more conservative at this point. We don't know. We haven't seen a ton of votes yet. Uh, but that's something else to consider as we move forward from budget hearings to budget settings to ultimately uh, budget votes on, on the floor. And like you said, that is one of the big requirements uh, for the state of Idaho, this legislature, and JFAC. Yeah, you, you got one job, basically just set a budget and pass 108 budget bills. So it's going to be a wild ride. It could be a long ride. Clark, thanks for helping uh, helping our listeners get a sense of what to, what to watch for. Always fun to be back, Kevin. Happy to do it anytime. Again, that was Clark Corbin from Idaho Capital Sun. You can check out all of his work at IdahoCapitalSun.com. And you can see a lot of work from our friends at Idaho Capital Sun right here on our homepage at IdahoEdNews.org. Well, Clark and I talked budgets on Wednesday, and not surprisingly, a lot of budget news broke on Thursday and Friday. Let me get you caught up on some of the details there. Thursday was Community College Day before JFAC, and that means that Interim President Greg South was answering some pointed questions about operations and the future at North Idaho College. That was my Thursday analysis piece. I take a, a closer look at what lawmakers asked and what they heard on Thursday. You can check that story out at idahoednews.org. 
Also Thursday, Boise State University did respond to those unanswered questions that came up during Tuesday's budget presentation. I have a breakdown of what Boise State reported back to JFAC. It did find an inaccuracy in their uh, response to uh, budget writers, and a key budget writer said that um, the response doesn't seem to be complete, and lawmakers are still going to be looking for more information. I get you caught up at idahoednews.org. Friday morning was the University of Idaho's day before JFAC, and that means that uh, President C. Scott Green was addressing legislative budget writers. Kind of an emotional hearing as uh, Green reflected on the the brutal slayings of four U of I students back in November and made an appeal for additional funding to help the U of I offset some of the costs incurred since those slayings. I have that story at idahoednews.org and much more that you can find at idahoednews.org. I do want to point to a story that Carly Flandro had, well, a couple of stories Carly Flandro had, but one about Attorney General Raul Labrador weighing in on the uh, controversy surrounding uh, LGBTQ um, policies at uh, Caldwell School District and, and LGBTQ policies across the state. You can check that story out. Carly has a really comprehensive look at the issue. Check that one out at idahoednews.org. She also has the latest numbers on Idaho graduation rates. Check us out at idahoednews.org. On a daily basis, we give you all of the latest news on education policy and education politics. You can continue to follow us on Twitter. We are still on Twitter at idahoednews. We tweet out links to our latest stories and bulletins on breaking items. You can follow us on Facebook and comment on our stories there. And come back here next week for another edition of the podcast. I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week.